Today in the Multiply Podcast, we're talking about disciple-making environments, one of our 10 characteristics of a healthy church. Check it out. everybody welcome back or welcome to the multiply podcast my name is jared my name is david glad you guys are back with us thanks for listening in thanks for being a part of the multiply podcast family mm. we can't wait to have a family reunion International. at jared barry's house yep at what's your address <laughs> i wish i knew your address off the top of my head i wish i, I knew say your it. address because then i would say it and you couldn't stop well, me we only live two blocks from each other so we should know each other's addresses, but <laughs> man, it's good to be back. It's good to be back. Yeah. I love doing this podcast, man. I love um, just being here to correct and rebuke and mm. bring instruction and direction to my young Padawan. <laughs> and I love giving you the opportunity to feel like you're doing that <laughs> as I reverse disciple you <laughs> in a way that you're not even aware of. So. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure everybody's enjoying this. <laughs> no, it's been cool. It's been fun. Uh, recently heard a lot of great feedback from the podcast and that it's a blessing to people, and um, that's really encouraging to hear, and uh, it's uh, it's fun to do. And if you do enjoy it, we'd love for you to give us a, give us a, a good five-star rating on iTunes and maybe share it with some people that just helps spread the word and get it out there, and we don't get anything from it other than just wanting this to be a blessing to people. Um, and if you guys want to hear us talk about something, a particular yeah. topic, hit us up on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. And what's your, what is your, um, what is mine? I was about to ask you what your my, Twitter handle is. Mine is Jared G. Barry on all of them. Jared G. Barry. You can find me at all that. I think mine is, um, I'm looking up right now. Um, yeah. Okay. So my, so Twitter is just my name, David Hurtweck. And then Instagram might be the same. Let me look real quick. Uh, yeah, David Hurtweck. Two E's in my last name, H-E-R-T-W-C-K. So you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and I would be glad to uh, block you. Um, <laughs> I would be, yeah. That's, if, you, if you say anything critical, he immediately will block you yeah. and erase your comment. Yeah, or anything against the Yankees, against Liverpool Football Club, against Syracuse Orange. Mm. Immediate block. Yeah. I have I've blocked more people than I have followers. <laughs> Actually, I've blocked very few people. Actually, this past this past week, do we have time for me to sh- say something else? Yeah, we got all okay. the time in the world. Yeah. So this past week, Tim Keller, who is someone that you and I both uh, really have benefited from his teaching, his writing, his ministry, uh, he posted something about the idea of the anger of God and the, the idea that the theological thought about behind God's anger bothers people because often we think of angry dad, angry husband, angry family member, and we think out of control anger or abusive anger. But his whole point was that anger is always a response. It's the flip side and the same coin of, uh, of love. Mm-hmm. The greater you love something, the greater your anger when that thing that you love is in danger or at risk. Right? So he's making this basic point, and he got a lot of pushback, which is basically Twitter has just become the angriest people in the world. Mm-hmm. So he gets all this pushback. And so... I didn't reply to him, but I replied to another comment that he was tagged in, so I guess it went to him too. And I just kind of said, the irony is that the reaction, the uproar, actually illustrates his point. People are angry because they love their idea of who God is, and it's being called into question. And so it was like, they're they're reacting in a way that's actually strengthening his argument. And then he goes and retweets my tweet, 
with comment. And his comment simply said, the irony isn't lost on me either. And I was like, what? Wow. A dream come true for you. For two seconds. And then, and, it then back, and then it backfired. It just became this, like my nightmare is being a part of a Twitter theological debate. And I know like one of my friends was like, well, you kind of jumped into it. And he's true. Like I obviously made a comment, but not in a hundred years that I think Keller was going to retweet mine and it was going to become something. Yeah. And so it turned into this big thing. And long story short, I blocked a couple people. <laughs> and, <laughs> long and, story short, Dave's Twitter account has now been deleted. Yeah, and mostly I blocked them because when I looked at their profile, they had zero followers and they were following zero people, and they had no picture, which means troll. Mm. Yeah. So if you blo- if people are uh, have zero followers and, z- and they're not following anybody, they have no picture, and their Twitter account has existed for the last 20 minutes, it's a troll. Block them. Block them. Well, that's an exciting story, and i just thinking about the moment, you know, picturing Tim just reclining on the couch at home with Kathy. Looking down his phone, Twitter, and saying, "Whoa, who's this smart guy, Dave Erwick? Let me let me retweet this. Is good stuff. Let me retweet this. I mean, what a picture!" My friends all try to burst my bubble because on his bio it says that his son also tweets from his Twitter account sometimes. That's true. So like, there's no way that was Tim. That was Tim's son. And I said, "Well, no in heaven. Well, no in heaven. Well, no in heaven." Tim, if you're listening, I know you're a faithful listener. Just yeah. let us know. Tim, we'd love to have you on sometime. Yep. All right. Well, wow, that was quite an intro. If you're still with us, we're glad you're here. <laughs> and uh, we're excited to dump, jump into our topic this morning. We've been in the midst of uh, breaking down a characteristic each episode of uh, healthy church or healthy ministry. And so we've been going, we've created a list of 10 characteristics of a healthy church, not just us, but we were part of a committee that did that. And uh, it's not an exhaustive list or the only list, but we find it to be a helpful list. And so each episode, we're breaking one down. Today, Dave, what are we talking about? Today we're talking about something that we talk about all the time. Mm. So this may be a shorter podcast than normal. That's why we did a longer intro. Chances are it'll be a longer one. We're talking about discipleship strategy and really the two big buckets that this podcast exists to talk about is discipleship and leadership. So, But one of the key characteristics of a healthy church is a dis- having a discipleship strategy. And here's the definition. A discipleship strategy provides a clear and known way to move people from unbelief to belief in the gospel in every area of their lives, changing what they love and how they live. So let me say it again. A discipleship strategy provides a clear and known way to move people from unbelief to belief in the gospel in every area of their lives, changing what they love and how they live. So we've talked a lot about discipleship. Let's just kind of like start with um, this whole question of uh, when, when, when a church is thinking through a discipleship strategy, what is the first question they have to wrestle down okay yeah so we're going to assume there's a lot of other things done mission vision all that kind of stuff but we're working on discipleship strategy here's what i said number one first thing you have to define where you want to go so you've got to define what is a disciple right so if this is a strategy to make a disciple you have to have a very clear picture of what a disciple is Mm -hmm. that way you actually know how to get there or how to measure whether you've gotten there or not Right, because if you don't know whether you've gotten there or not, a strategy is basically unhelpful. You need a target on the wall. Target on the wall. So step one is you have to define what a disciple is. You, well, where do we where do we start to have that conversation? Where do we look? Well, the best place is the Bible. Oh, I see. I just softball, <laughs> softball, <laughs> just lob that team. Mm, little Jesus juke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we got to look at Scripture, and and there's some 
I think there's there's some flexibility in the variety of definitions of a disciple. Like there's obviously not one exact wording, but I think we can get a pretty clear picture yeah. of what a disciple looks like and how to how to define it, how to measure it, which sure. I think is the most helpful thing to me is how do we measure it, right? Because sometimes that's hard. It's like, well, do they have the fruit of the Spirit or mm-hmm. do they not or whatever? So, And there's no real arriving, right? Exactly. Like it's a lifelong it's a process. Yeah, so I think... Um, you know, I think the word disciple at its core in the original language is this idea of being a learner. Um, but a lot of times when we talk about disciples, people talk about a, a follower of Jesus, right? So, in fact, a lot of mission statements, instead of saying things like, like our mission statement at Trinity is uh, making disciples for the glory of our God and the good of our community. But I know there's a church that we've both been at that we really respect in San Antonio, and their mission statement is something more like helping our friends find and follow Jesus. I think there's more to it than that, but that's the basic gist of it. And so, and I know like Chi Alpha, which is a college ministry within the Assemblies of God, uses a lot, or some of them use the language of um, finding, fighting for, and feeding, or finding, feeding, and fighting for people as far as the process of going and making disciples. But I think when I think of disciples, I think of people who are committed to learning. Now, the danger of the word learning is we immediately think of classrooms and content and information and fill in the blanks. Mm. But a disciple is not just learning content and information. In fact, when you look at how Christ uh, made disciples, how he cared for the 12 that were entrusted to him, a uh, lot of content, but a lot of life on life, right? So how, how would you explain what maybe the element of learning is when it comes to your, as a disciple, you're a lifelong learner. But what, what does that mean to you? I think it's the person's heart and willingness to humbly submit themselves to the leading and guiding and spiritual um, instruction and development of another person who's a, who has a little more maturity in their walk with Jesus. And um, and it's not always 100% easy to measure, right? Because our typical ways of measuring that are like, do they show up to our Bible study? Do they show up to a Sunday morning service? Attendance. Uh, attendance, right. And that's an easy way to measure. And that's a, that is a measurement that matters because if you're, not, if you're not present in the disciple-making environments, then it's hard to say you're all in. But I think when we're creating the disciple-making environment strategy, we need to think about uh, a little more life on life mm-hmm. versus just attendance to a program. And so is this person have the heart and the openness and the willingness to allow me to pour into their life in such a way that I'm helping them become more of a disciple of Jesus. Yeah, that's good. In the definition, we talk about moving people from unbelief to belief in the gospel in every area of their lives. And and I, I like that definition for discipleship. The discipleship is the process of moving from unbelief to belief in the gospel, knowing that all real growth is rooted in the gospel, um, but that there's this sort of, there's always new, not new, but there's always areas of our lives in which we need more belief in the gospel. Mm. So it's not like a yes or no belief. It's a growing right. belief. It's a belief that becomes more, um, inf- more consistently informs our behavior. Right. And that's something that I think needs to be set up front. When we think of what is a disciple, it would be easy to just list out the behaviors of a disciple. Right. Right. Prays, reads the Bible, goes to church, gives, you know, moral person, whatever. Those might be fruits of being a disciple, but it's not the root 
of being a disciple, right? And right. so there's actually shortcuts to get people to do those things that don't actually have anything to do with deeper gospel belief. Right. And that's a big part of thinking to discipleship is not just in what ways do we want people to behave differently? What are the behavioral outworkings, measurements, outcomes for a disciple? Although those that's a that's a necessary conversation. But also what sort of beliefs does that flow out of? And belief always flows out of beholding, worshiping, right? So we talk a lot about it. We talk a lot about who you behold determines what you believe, which determines how you behave. Yeah. Which ultimately is who you become. So these four Bs: behold, believe, behave, become. And while we talk about what is a disciple, it might be primarily things in the behavior list because those are metrics. We need to make sure that we are having a deeper conversation about belief. So somebody who reads the scriptures every day. There's two different beliefs that could be motivating. Well, there's a lot, but let's talk about two. There's two different heart beliefs that could be motivating that sort of spiritual discipline. One could be, I earn God's approval by doing my daily scripture reading. And he loves me more, and he blesses me more when I do, and this is how I make myself right with God. And the other belief is, um, this is not an effort of me trying to remind God of how good I am. This is a necessary discipline so I can remind myself of how good God is. So that's just one example of how important it is to drive beneath behavior to belief, even when we talk about what is a disciple. Yeah, and when we're discipling, I think of an, uh, an example of my own life. I think it's important to remember that in a discipleship relationship, like a Paul and Timothy, there is someone who has a, a more mature spiritual development, but you're, you're not just downloading your perfection into this person. You're holding their hand and walking them through your own discipleship journey with them. And so I remember um, when I had a, a young guy I was discipling who's now actually taken over for me in my ministry, I remember one time preaching a sermon, and I, I was in the, trying to help him learn how to preach more and come off. He's like, man, that was so good. And I remember afterwards sharing with him the reality of how much my heart desired the approval of that audience. And I remember mm-hmm. basically saying to him, he, he looked at it as success because outwardly, you know, oh, that was a great sermon. Everyone responded. But inwardly, I knew the reality of my own heart that I needed to believe the gospel more and that I didn't need to look for the approval of people. And it was kind of a, it was one of those moments, like you said, where I'm in my own brokenness, I'm holding his hand and helping him see the why behind the what. And I think that's all a huge part of. Yeah, I think so much like, even as you're talking, I was thinking like a lot of times I use this alliteration when when we talk about trusting in Christ, talk about receiving Christ, rejoicing in Christ and resting in Christ. And I think those are really hard to measure. Ultimately, the metrics of that are all behavior. Yeah. But the root of it is right there. Like, in what ways am I resting in Christ's work now that I didn't know how to a year ago? What ways am I, in what areas of my life am I finding more joy in Christ and less joy in X, Y, or Z? Right. And being able to have those some sort of conversations. Because Jesus said, if you're weary, if you're burdened, like, come and walk with me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And that whole my yoke is easy is the idea that we walk with him, together with him. He carries the load as we learn to rest in him and rejoice in him. He's really done the heavy lifting, but we need to get in step with him. That's a big part of the conversation of what does a disciple look like. Yeah. So when you're starting out in the first step and you're defining discipleship, it's okay to have some metrics, measurable metrics. You should. Mm -hmm. But you also need to be careful um, to include in there an ability for people to not just change behavior, but change heart, and that becomes harder to measure. But that's why I know, like, we've talked about things like gospel fluency and upping that. And then ultimately, in my mind, the sign of a disciple is, are they making disciples? Yeah. Like, the ultimate measurement yep. of a disciple is, don't you can't say someone has become a disciple unless they are 
making other disciples. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of biblical basis for that. That's great. So first question, what is a disciple? And then what's the next question that you think a church should kind of be thinking through? So I like to think about it as step one, assess where you want to be. That's what we just talked about. And then assess two, uh, a step two, assess where you are. So you've got to look at your church and your congregation, and you've kind of got to filter everything that you do through, do these things help us get to the end, or do they not? And so you kind of begin to reverse engineer. So you have a picture where you want to go, and then you kind of you, you have to have a really clear picture of where you are. What's the culture of our church? Like it's hard to know how to get to the end unless you really understand where you're at. You know, so an analogy would be you and I are consistently trying to lose weight, and usually it's a losing battle. So we, it's easy to kind of know where you want to go, right? I want to get down to this this weight. But if you have an, an inaccurate understanding of where you are, like if you don't know how much you currently weigh, or you think you're really ripped when in fact those are not abs, those are just fat bubbles. Hmm. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not mentioning names here. I'm not talking about you. Right, if, like if you don't have an accurate picture of where you are, it's hard to create a strategy to get where you want to go. Yeah, and so I think that's the second step for a church is really understanding the culture of their church, um, how things work, what type of ministries do you have, what are some of the potential pitfalls of things that could be um, get in the way of you trying to get to the end. So yeah, you got to be willing to ask hard questions, hear mm-hmm. the truth, um, be teachable. You need fresh perspectives sometimes. You need fresh eyes, and uh, and really just saying like. Um, Let's not just keep doing things because we're doing, we've always done them. Or let's not even just keep doing things because they seem to be succeeding by traditional metrics. Right. Right. You could be, you could have a great program that's really seems to have a lot of interest and attendance. But if you're committed to having a discipleship strategy, if you're committed to the mission of God of making disciples who make disciples, you're not satisfied with just people showing up. You're always asking the question, how is this helping us move people forward? Right. right. So in the going back to the definition, the discipleship strategy provides a clear and known way. We need to get to that thought next. But the idea of to move people. So discipleship is about not just gathering people in kind of a stagnant environment week after week after week. And by stagnant, I don't mean that the environment itself isn't life-giving, but there's no next step. Yeah. There's nowhere to go from there. How do we move people? And so so after we've kind of talked through what is a disciple, what's wh- where are we headed, what's current reality, where are we now, what are we offering, what are we doing, and what is it all, what needs is it meeting or not meeting? Now what are we talking about? So the third part I would say you've got to – now you need to you assess where you want to go, assess where you're at. Now you need to assess the structure that you need to have in place to move people from where you're at currently to where you want to be. So you have an accurate idea of where you want to go. You know kind of where you're at. And this is this changes depending on the church, right? Some churches may need only minor tweaks to, to really create a healthy disciple-making environment. Some of you have maybe stepped into a very unhealthy church, unhealthy culture. But once you know where you want to go and where you're at currently— now you can begin to implement a structure and a strategy that will move you from where you're at currently to where you need to go. And three elements that I think about when I think about how to create this structure that are, and we actually talked about this in our very first podcast, so you can go back and listen to it. But number one time, it will take time. So you've got to have a long-term approach, right? You've got to be willing to say this may take a long time. Disciple making does, culture making does. Number two, you've got to have people. It takes people to make disciples. It takes people to have in the right places. And three, it takes intentionality. So we've got to look at all the programs that we do and be willing to, like you said, get rid of anything that doesn't work or doesn't help us move toward the goal of making a disciple. 
um, and we've got to create things like clarity. Like, share with me a little bit of your heart on the idea of creating clarity, creating Mm -hmm. alignment, Mm -hmm. creating a structure within the church that helps move people from where they are to where they want to be. Well, we're in the process at Trinity with the leadership team of, of taking a fresh look at this. You know, Trinity has always been a church that makes disciples, but, you know, we're, we're looking at are there things we can do to improve um, even our, our strategy, our structure, our pathway, whatever the language is that, you know, church wants to use. And uh, the book Simple Church, as far as something else that our listeners could read and benefit from, you know, in that book they talk about clarity, they talk about movement, they talk about alignment and focus. And, and clarity is just like... What is the, if people are going to take steps down a pathway, the one thing people need is clarity as to what is the next step. And so having clear language, communicating it regularly, and communicating in a way that indicates movement forward, then having this alignment so that um, every program you offer is aligned specifically along that pathway. Mm. And then the final one is focus. And focus is the hardest step because it means saying no to things or, or getting rid of things that maybe were successful in the past or are successful, but they're successful at the wrong thing. Right? Or or they may be good, but they're not great. They're not best. Yeah, they're not the best. There's a better solution for right. movement and yeah, alignment. And so that's a really difficult conversation to have. And you have to have really hold things with an open hand during that conversation. But for us, you know, right now we're asking the question of we've, we've talked a lot about the first two questions you suggested already, actually. We've talked about what does a disciple look like? We've talked about what do we currently offer? So we looked at all of our different environments and who we think they serve and how we th- what they think, where we think they direct people as far as next steps. In some cases, there is no next step we're realizing. It's just kind of like a you know stagnant pool again. Right. And now we're thinking through, what do we want for everyone as far as a process to move people forward? And so we're not even public with this yet, but... I don't know if a lot of people from the church listen to this podcast, so I'll just talk a little bit about where we're at. That we just kind of see this clarity and this strategy and this pathway really in three big steps. The first step is this come and see Jesus. And again, we talked about last episode, incarnational living. We're not just talking about inviting people to church, but this come and see Jesus in my life, in my home, in my neighborhood, in my workplace, in my life, right? So come and see Jesus and for us, that's really um, what happens in people's lives incarnationally, but also it's what our Sunday morning gathering is about. So it provides us with a lot of clarity as a church as to what are we really trying to offer people on Sunday morning. We're trying to offer them a Holy Spirit um, breathe look at the person and work of Jesus. So from what we sing to what we say to what we preach to how we call for response, like this is our come and see Jesus environment. We want everyone who comes to Trinity to experience this. Then there's the connect and be you. So we believe that you can't really know who you are outside of community. We're created to know ourselves in community. So we want people to connect, be a part of family, be a part of ministry teams, be a part of serving, and fully become themselves the way God has created them to be. And then the third thing is this idea of commit and lead others. It's not leadership in terms of like a title or position, but it's leadership in influence and disciple making. Mm. So sort of it has a circular effect to it. Once you get to the commit to lead others, now you, what are you committing and lead other people to do? to come and see Jesus. Yeah. And so there's just this constant idea. Now, so now that's we have some language, but that's the easy part, at least for me, that's the easy part. Yeah. Now we have to look at what are we offering as a church? We have a come and see environment that we need to keep tweaking to make it a better come and see Jesus environment. We have some things to connect in BU. We do have ministry teams and smaller groups, but maybe not as strategic and certainly not as well communicated as they could be. And we do actually have a bridge between come and see and connect and be, and the bridge is like what we call a Discover Trinity class. 
But as far as the bridge to the next step and the next step itself of commit and lead others, candidly, we don't have anything currently that we would point to and say, that's it. Mm. So that's where we're at in the conversation as far as having a discipleship strategy, discipleship pathway. So it's a lot of detail, but yeah. I just want to give you practically what one church is doing well, as far as another way to it. think about that or to word it. And I think you're right on is you've got three essential environments, large group, small group, one-on-one. Sure. It's yeah. hard to think. It's hard for me to imagine a disciple-making environment that doesn't have those three elements. Mm-hmm. And I think they all are uniquely important in helping move someone to discipleship. Yeah. Well, we've talked about in a previous podcast that we believe that discipleship happens face-to-face and shoulder-to-shoulder. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Face-to-face vertical, you and Jesus. Face-to-face horizontal, one-on-one coaching, mentoring, whatever you want to call that, discipleship. And then uh, shoulder-to-shoulder inward in circles, in smaller mm-hmm. groups. Uh, and then shoulder-to-shoulder... I'm sorry, shoulder-to-shoulder inward is circles and rows. So circles are smaller groups, and then rows maybe for larger groups. And then we've actually created another category, which is shoulder-to-shoulder outward, which is living on mission together and serving together. So you could fit that. That could actually be a small group effort still. So I still think the idea of large group, small group, one-on-one, and then you and Jesus. So I would say probably four key discipleship environments. How is your church not just creating them, but then how are you aligning them so that there's movement between those stages, so to speak, knowing that discipleship is not always linear, of course. It's messy. Mm-hmm. And then what sort of focus are you bringing to eliminate things that actually aren't contributing to that pathway? Yeah. And if this is your main goal, and this is where I think a lot of churches go wrong, if this is your main focus and your main goal, which is to make a disciple, if you have multiple tracks that don't all end there, then what you're communicating to your church is this is a option, but it's not the option. So this is to be a disciple is good for some people, but it's not good for all people. And I think um, obviously that's not our heart, and so that's a disservice. And that's why creating a strategic focus, cutting out other stuff, Here's here is the way we do it at our church. And I think it's okay to be unapologetic as a pastor, say, here's how we do it at Trinity. If you don't love it, it's not the only way to make a disciple, sure, but sure. this is our way of doing it, and here's what it looks like. And then if I can say, I know we got to finish, but after you've answered the question, where are we headed? What's a disciple look like? Where are we now? And now what's our strategy? Then the next question basically becomes, how do we keep communi- how do we communicate this over and over and over, clarity yep. and consistency and doing it in a compelling way and just being fully committed to this idea that we exist to make disciples. And so... Um, even just making it visual. You know, once we kind of yeah. Trinity locked down our language, we I have a whole wall in our lobby that's going to become this sort of discipleship pathway wall. Mm. People are going to be walking and see, like, this is what we want for every person. Come and see Jesus. Connect and be you. Commit and lead others. Yeah. And that's, you know, when we have somebody in a come and see Jesus environment, now we can say, hey, we'd love to help you move towards connecting and being you, and here's what we have for you. Yeah. I think the goal for, I know your heart, and I think this is the goal for every pastor, is you should want any... Uh, mature leader in your church to be able to very easily explain to anybody who walks in, here's the pathway for our church. Yeah, it's got to be simple. It's got to be simple. simple. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to move on to uh, our favorite portion of the episode, David's Eats, where people live vicariously through you and the things that you throw down your gullet. Is that safe to say? That's maybe fair. Yeah, I think so. So today I've got a weird one for you. Oh, boy. Okay, I've been really thinking about this. Um, I'm interested to know, uh, first of all, are you a peanut butter and jelly fan? I am. Toasted bread. Okay. Well, now you're just starting to get into the question. I haven't asked oh, sorry, you yet. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Okay. So explain explain to us 
what the perfect peanut butter and jelly sandwich looks like to you. And feel free to include some maybe accessories like a glass of milk mm-hmm. or something like that. All oh, right. Yeah. Okay. So I kind of already said this, but the bread's got to be toasted, you know, and a little bit, maybe a little thicker bread than not, not are we going, thick, are we going whole wheat here? Are we going no. white? Yeah. White, even brioche, okay. you know, something kind of des- like a, de- almost like a desserty bread. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, and then a really good, I see, I like a really good toast, not burnt, but I like it not lightly toasted. I like to see it a little darker. Yeah. And then for me, peanut butter's. I like peanut butter that's crunchy. We're going crunchy peanut butter. Crunchy peanut butter. Is there a particular brand? No, I I can't say that there is. I don't eat a lot of peanut butter because it's so much calories and delicious. (laughs) Um, And then as far as the jam or jelly goes, uh, I really like raspberry, something really tart. Mm. And um, and then um, I would I wouldn't do this every time, but I don't mind like some sliced bananas on that sandwich too. And yeah. then definitely a glass of cold milk. Okay, we going low fat here. We going full. No, um, we we drink we drink whole milk in our house. Wow, I don't drink a lot of it, but man, skim milk is as Ron uh, or not Ron? Yeah, Ron. I almost said Ron Burgundy. It's not Ron Burgundy. <laughs> Ron Swanson says skim milk is lying. It's water <laughs> saying it's milk. <laughs> it's garbage. And so I could do two percent milk, you know. Yeah. But um, you know, whole milk is still where it's at. You and that's really, that's good fat for you, I think. The Hurtwicks really live on the edge with their yeah. whole milk. Wow, yeah, man, peanut butter and jelly—that's like a treat. I mm. love that. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I I, I I like all that you said. That sounds great. I'm also, I sometimes just go for a classic. I toast it and then, but I don't put it as a sandwich. I just have it like like an open sandwich, like a PB and J toast. Yeah, open oh, sandwich. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You ever heard anybody putting cheese on their PB and J? Oh no, that's. That person deserves to be locked up for at least five years. Don't, don't, don't knock it until you've tried it. I cannot. Hey, everybody. If you're still listening, thanks so much. This has been the Multiply Podcast. Go make yourself a PB&J. We'll see you next time.